1: Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead. Now's the time to open them. However you get that, whether it's in book form or app form, go ahead. We're going to continue this journey through Colossians. I believe this is going to take us all the way to the very first Sunday of Lent. We're going to, we'll start a new set series then. But, uh, I'm just excited to, to finish out this book together and, uh, see again what God says to us today from this letter to a tiny church thousands of years ago. Colossians chapter 3 verses 5 through 11. Now, many of you came in today and, uh, you saw that you had one of these in the, in the pew in front of you. That wasn't just like random left over from a quiz yesterday. Th- this is, uh, this is going to be needed. So go ahead, do me a favor so that we can do this now and not have to do it at the end. If you're online, this is a, a tea bag, just any tea bag, but I want you to go and get one if you're in your home and you have one available. Go ahead and grab one. Go ahead and open it out of the sleeve. At least, at least pull the, the tab so it's not quite as noisy. You don't have to necessarily pull the, the bag out yet, but we'll do that later on. So just hold on to that. If there, if you need one, there's probably one in these empty sections here, if I didn't get enough out there. But hold on to that. You're gonna need that. We're gonna kinda of piggyback off of last week. Um, and, uh, and the example that, beautiful example that was given to us by Pastor Rich last week. And so this is gonna be a wonderful time. But if you have your Bibles, Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. Remember, Paul is speaking to a little church that's surrounded by a society that has, much like our society, that has all of these systems of the ways that people think that the world works or should work. And they have actually attached some of those systems to these idols, these gods, the, the god of Wealth and money, the God of power and war, the gods of, and they would worship these things. And Paul is saying to them, something radical happens with Jesus Christ. The one who was at the beginning of all things, the one who came and lived among us and revealed himself to us, the one who died and was resurrected, the one who ascended to the right hand of God the Father, the one who has sent the Spirit to empower us. Something drastic happens. And something, and so we're called to live in that. And he wants that little church to say, don't, don't, don't go back into the old things. And don't cry and create new rules or or pay attention to those old things that that will not help you to begin with. Something different has happened. And so we want to hear this today. Colossians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. It's the Word of God for the people of God, both here and online, and our response is, thanks be to God. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and do the hard things first, all right? Uh, you know me, I like to do this, let's do the heavy lifting first, and then I think we'll see how all of this makes sense. And you know that we need to look at that phrase, let's talk about wrath, which is found in verse 6, where Paul writes, because of these, and we're going to look at the these here in just a second, the wrath of God is coming. We're going to talk about the these list here in just a minute. But first, I want to make sure that we get this phrase right. Okay? I want to make sure that we understand this. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. That's the phrase I want to make sure that we get right. Because some preachers have used this phrase as a way to beat people up, to get them to obey, to get them to do what they want them to do. And sometimes it has very little to do with the Bible. Sometimes it does. But as a very wise man, my dad used to say, if you have to scare somebody into the arms of Jesus, you've got to keep them scared to keep them in the arms of Jesus. And that's not the good news. And so I want us to understand what this wrath of God means for us today, what it mean, meant then, what it means today. I mean, some of you are probably scared right now that we're talking about the wrath of God. It's okay. <laughs> Deep breaths. In and out. Okay, we're going to get through this. This is, this is actually a very interesting thing for us to look at. The wrath of God is a metaphor For judgment. In the Old Testament, it was often associated with the day of the Lord. And and the day of the Lord is, is tough to look at, but it's when God makes everything right. And does away with the things that are broken, that are unhealthy, that are damaging, that are sinful in our world. And it's a tough thing to look at. It looks wrathful. I mean, the prophets would use things like the the moon turning to blood and, and the stars falling from the sky. I mean, this is radical change of what is going to happen. But there are many ways to see this phrase. And so that we can get this phrase right, I want to give you three different quotes. They're a little bit on the lengthy side, so... You know, if you need to wake up, you know, just shake yourself a bit. Uh, maybe elbow your friend to the to the right or left of you. I want you to hear because there are many ways that people have understood this idea of the wrath of God. And so I want us to look at one of the first. Uh, I want to look at these three quotes. The first one comes from Reverend William Barclay. I have found uh, William Barclay to be very helpful. He was a Scottish Presbyterian minister and a teacher at Glasgow University uh, back around the turn of last century. So even though it was in the 1900s, I have found him to be very plain spoken and helps understand some of this. Here's how he describes the wrath of God. He says the wrath of God is simply the rule of God's universe, that a human will reap what they sow and that no one ever escapes the consequences of sin. I would add to that, on their own or without Jesus. The wrath of God and the moral order of God's universe are one in the same. Maybe a good way for us to think about it is if you play with fire, you're going to what? Get burned. burned. Yes. And, And so he understands this idea of the wrath of God as something. If we continue to do this, there is going to be a correction. And we're not going to escape the consequences of those things that we do that are outside of the way God created things to work. And that's important for us to understand. The next one comes from Pastor Brian Zond. And I want you to hear this one. He takes that and, and kind of takes it a little more nuanced. And so let's look at this. He says, the wrath of God is the biblical metaphor we use to describe the very real consequences. Now, I underlined those. Those are not his underline. I just wanted us to see that. The very real consequences that we suffer from trying to go through life against the grain of love. The wrath of God is understood as divine consent to our own self-destructive defiance. When we sin against the greatest two commandments, to love God with all our heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves, we suffer the inevitable consequences of acting against love. We can call this the wrath of God if we like, the Bible does, but this does not mean that God literally loses his temper. That God is involved in this, that, that, that God has a way of love that he has set the world in motion to work. And when we resist that, we damage. We do so at our own damage and damaging the ones that are around us. Maybe a, a silly way of thinking about this, I used to go on an inner tube trip every summer with the teens. And as I got later on, I wanted to take that time to, to try and teach just a little bit. About our faith in this. sometimes I talked about baptism. I mean, it's water after all. It's pretty easy uh, But I remember one time I had all of them where we got to a place where it was about waist deep for most people And I said, okay, okay, everybody put your legs down and try and stop And so they would and they put their legs down and they had their inner tube and they were stopping and you could see them Some of the tinier ones were more like this you know, some of the big guys, you know, didn't want to show anything, so they're like leaning into it. But I made them stay there for long enough to where even the big macho guys were kind of like, Besser Jeff, my legs are tired. Yeah, they are tired. When we move against the flow of God's love, when we try to plant ourselves and say, I know this is the way, or even worse, when I try and work against the currents of God's love, we will exhaust ourselves. And if you were to stay here and do this until you were completely exhausted, you would drown. You are moving against the love that God has and the way God calls us to operate in this world. And if you do that, you do that to your own detriment. And we can call that the wrath of God it's not God up there like Odin or Thor or Zeus ready to throw a lightning bolt because he just wants to destroy somebody who's out of line it's no he wants you in that and one of the most fun things is okay on the count of three we're all going to lift our legs and just float and they would all do it and they all just felt so relieved like when you let yourself go into the arms of God into the flow of his love there is something restful and peaceful in understanding what God is doing. That's Brian Zahn's understanding of the wrath of God. God. The last one comes from Bishop Tom Wright. He sometimes writes under the uh, name of N.T. Wright, but the T is for Tom. So uh, Bishop Tom Wright, here's how he understands it. He takes it a little bit further. He does talk about the emotions of God in the midst of the wrath of God. He writes it this way. I wish I could speak to you in his wonderful British accent, but I'll not attempt that. (laughs) To deny God's wrath is to deny God's love. If God doesn't hate seeing people enslaved by others, if God doesn't hate it when innocent people are bombed because of someone's political agenda, if God doesn't hate it, he isn't a loving God when God sees people lying and cheating and abusing one another, exploiting and grafting and preying on one another, if God were to say, ah, never mind, I'm okay with all of this anyways, then God is neither good nor loving. The Bible doesn't speak of a God of generalized benevolence it speaks of a God who made the world and loved it so passionately that God must and does hate every action that distorts and defaces the world and that defaces the humanity that he loves now, that's a little philosophical for us today but do you hear what he's saying When God looks down and sees injustice, when God sees people enslaved, when God sees people wounded and hurt, when God sees people taking advantage of another, when when God sees that He knows the damage it is creating on His world, that He loved and created on people whom He sent Jesus, His one and only Son, to die for. If that doesn't bring something up in God, if he's just some detached God of Aristotelian philosophy, it is not the God of Scripture, and he is not good. When God sees the damage that sin causes, it stirs something in him, and he will bring something. It may take a while, but he will bring about a change and a correction. Are you with me? This this is some deep stuff. I know we're in deep water here. We'll move on into deeper water here in just a second. So what does all of this mean? I want to try and sum this up for us so we can move on into the rest of the passage. Number one, I think it means that God takes sin seriously. But not because he's cranky, but because he actually cares. And he loves passionately and deeply. Number two, uh, God does bring consequences for sin. But it's not out of a desire to rage. It's out of a desire to genuinely restore people to what he created them to be. And number three, God's wrath comes against evil actions. But God still loves the actor who may have done those evil actions. We're gonna see a little bit more nuance of this as we come along, but let's go ahead and move through the rest of our passage. I hope you're still with me. That was pretty deep. I mean, we were swimming in, in good, good the ocean right there. We're, we're ready to go. Cause it's these evil actions that are the these list that's in verse 6. Because of these. What are these evil actions? Well, let's look at this here for just a second. And since we always equate wrath with mad, somebody being mad, let's just play with it a little bit, okay? Hopefully this will stick in your mind. MAD. M-A-D. We're gonna look at three different lists that Paul writes in these very brief six verses, and I want us to look at them. We're gonna to have to go very quick. You only get two Greek words, because otherwise I would have to like, break out the, lection, the lexicon, and you would have pages and pages and pages of notes. But let's, let's move forward. The first list, which is the these that God's wrath is coming upon, is the more mindset. Now, not the more of you that we just sang about, but the more mindset. What does that mean? Let's look at verse 5. The more mindset. Put to death, therefore. That means, (laughs) take this seriously. Like, you need to get rid of this. Like, do whatever it takes to get rid of these things. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. It's the first list. Now, Paul moves from the very specific, that's the first one, sexual immorality, all the way to the general, which is greed. And then he takes it one step for further, like, like a good rabbi would do. But we'll look at this. They all deal with this idea of the more mindset. So I want to start with the last word, which is gre- greed. And we're going to look at that word in Greek, of course. Greed, Greek. i are going to get that confused, I know. The word for greed in Greek is the word pleonexion. It's fun to say, but let's say it together. Ready? One, two, three. Pleonexion. Say it one more time. One, two, three. Pleonexion. Say it one last time. One, two, three. Pleonexion. It is literally the desire for more. I love, though, how the lexicon of the Greek New Testament helps us understand what this desire for more, what makes this greed, and not just a natural, like, I want a second helping of pizza. Thank you very much. What it describes it as is lusting for a greater number of temporal things that go beyond what God determines is eternally best for people. That God has said, I have given everything for you. You have all you need in me. And when we begin to say, I want more of a temporal thing, could be anything, you just put in whatever you want there, that goes beyond what God determines is eternally best for people, then it moves into Pleonexion. And we'll look at this. Maybe a good picture to describe this is this picture. If you can see, that is a pickup truck under there. That is not healthy. For the truck, that is not healthy for the driver of that truck, that is not safe for anybody who's driving on the street or the freeway with that truck. That goes beyond what it was designed for, amen? Amen. (laughs) This is a good picture of Pleionexion. Why would this bother God so much? I mean, if you can get it all on there, why not take it with you, right? Because eventually it catches up. And when you put too much onto yourself, you can do damage and create consequences for yourself and those around you. So if we move down the list backwards from greed and move back to the specific, I think we'll see something that Paul works. We'll see how this equation works just a little bit better because pleonexion leads to epithumia, and we don't have time to just, to say epithumia a bunch of times, but I want you to know it literally means desire based on strong urges. So if I'm just constantly longing for more than what is what god says is good for a human being then my urges are going to be what drives me and when those urges creep up then i'm just going to say well i just need more i just need to take it i need to put it on let's put it back in that pickup let's get it higher let's get it out farther let's get it out wider let's just continue to go on this that is epithumia (laughs) and epithumia leads to akathar pathos i'm definitely not having us say that three times it means impure passions that if I'm being driven by just wanting more and more and more, then my urges come up and then that begins to take on things that I know are not good for me or not, I know are not good for those around me or those who I might interact with. And akatharsion pathos leads to what is translated as sexual immorality. In some of your scriptures it will say fornication. But the Greek word is actually Poor neon. Yes, the word porn is in there. And it literally means using someone sexually for our own pleasure. Without regards for the consequences to myself or to someone else. Because I am being driven by my impure, Passions that are being driven by my deep urges, which are being driven by my mindset for more and more and more, even though it is not good for me. And Paul calls all of this for what it is. He sums it up. He says, It's idolatry. It is trying to manipulate a God or to manipulate a system that is represented by that God to give me more of what I want. If I want more power, then I just go to that statue of Zeus or I go into my political system in our world today and I say the right words and I say the right thing and I know the party platform and then I'll get more power and I'll get more of what I want regardless of whether God says that's good for me or not. Do you see how this works? And out of this, there will be natural consequences. The wrath of God. There will be consequences for going against the grain of love that God has caused to flow through the world, from creation through the cross to resurrection, and will continue on until that river flows from His heavenly throne and heals all things. We are called, friends... (laughs) To realize that these actions have serious consequences for both the perpetrator and for the victim. He says, "This, these are the things. Now, can you realize these are actions, right? I want you to dis- distinguish between the actions of the these that the wrath of God is coming for and the person. Let's move on. God takes these things very seriously, but we've got to move on. We're getting a little long in the sermon <laughs> the more mindset is the first list the second my, the second list is the anger mindset verse 8 you can look at this he says but now you must rid yourself of all such things how many of the things I want to make sure you, we heard this how many of the things all of the things okay you ready for the things anger Rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. This time, Paul works from the general down to the specific. Where he starts with that mindset and comes down to a specific behavior. Anger. We'll learn our second Greek word for today. Are you ready? It's the word orgain. It's a little easier to say. Ready? One, two, three. Orgain. Let's say it one more time. One, two, three. Orgain. Let's say it one last time. One, two, three. Orgain. And this may surprise you, but it's the same word that's used for wrath in the wrath of God. The orgain of God. But now Paul is saying, you must put away Orgain. What does he mean by this? Why is he doing this? this? This seems weird. What we need to understand is that anger itself is not evil. Anger itself is a God-given emotion that comes up when we see someone wrong, or we ourselves are wrong, or something is out of place, and it gives you kind of that intestinal fortitude to try and go make it right. The problem is, is that God is the only one who can be fully trusted with anger. Why do I say that? Because we always bleed anger over and we see a bad action and we put it on the person and we say they're a bad person. And then that causes us to desire to have retribution on that person. Now there are very rare examples. Let's say Jesus, who is being nailed to a cross and pray, Father, forgive them for what they don't know what they're doing. The rest of us tend to use it for retribution because we've confused the action with the actor. God always uses anger or wrath to restore people, to return them, to get their attention so that they can ask for mercy, so they can repent, so they can receive grace and move into the flow of his love and away from wrath. When we live in anger, what are the results? Well, Paul lists the rest of them out there. There's rage. We've seen rage, haven't we? Rage can be a problem in our world. When we are living perpetually angry, rage then is a natural blowing up. I love the Greek word there, is of a very, very ripe fruit that you barely have to touch, and juice flows out of it. When we live Consumed by angry, by anger, or let ourselves constantly be manipulated by anger, it fills up into us till the very smallest scratch causes things like rage to pump out of us. Malice. Malice is a strange word, we don't use that very much, but it simply means we see the worst in somebody and we seek the worst for somebody. That's malice. Then we move on. If we see the worst in somebody and we seek the worst for somebody, then we're going to say all kinds of things about them, whether they're true or not. That is called what? Slander. And then that kind of slander can lead to filthy language coming out of our mouth. And this is not just about cuss words. This is about calling out somebody in a way that does not see them as created in the image of God. And folks, I'm afraid Paul says all of these. Are you remember our all that I had to say a couple of times? All of these must be put aside if we are representing Christ to the world and church, whether we've forgotten it or not. We are called to represent Christ. To the world. And Paul was telling that little church in Colossae, but it rolls down through history to you and me and you online today. You are called. You are representing someone. And we cannot be filled with anger, which leads to rage and malice and slander and filthy language that denigrates somebody. If we are called to represent Christ, I think this verse is needed reminder today, even and maybe especially in the church. And maybe even especially because we're in the church and we're heading in to another election year. And folks, both sides use anger to get you to try and vote against the other side. So I'm I'm not calling out one over the other. But we are called to let go of all. To rid ourselves of how much of anger? How much of rage? How much of malice? How much of slander? How much of filthy language? That's a tall order. That's a tall order. Are you still with me? All right. The last one. We had the more mindset. We had the anger mindset. Lastly, we have the deceit that divides. We see this in verses nine through eleven. Do not lie to one another, Paul says. Now, I want us to understand something about Roman culture of that day. It was a very common practice to lie because Rome was set up on a very strict class society. And there were a couple things that we need to understand about this to help these last few verses make sense. First of all... People lied all the time to try and save face or move up into the next class because that added benefit to your lives. It was part of that more mindset uh, to try and get up, and it didn't matter what you had to say about yourself to make yourself look better. Uh, you know, it's not just lying on your resume. It's like, you know, maybe putting somebody else down or lying that you did the work that they said they did, and, and you just continue to do this. You lie to move up in society. The other thing about this class society is that what you wore signified your status within society. Sounds like social media. And so when you moved up to the next class, you literally would take off one cloak and you would put on another that signified you are now in the new class and you had all of the rights and privileges of the new class. So Paul comes to them and says, don't lie to one another. Why are you not to lie to one another? Because you took off the old self in that old way of life and the old way of thinking that's just the way the world works with its practices. So you don't have to lie anymore because you're gonna see something very important here. You took that off and you put on a new self. You experienced the Creator, Paul says, and you are growing to look more and more like Him. And in this new society, there are no classes you no longer have to lie to try and get yourself up into the next level of classes you no longer have to try and work your way around to try and figure that out paul says here there is no jew or gentile the here means the church the here means the kingdom of god the here means right now in this moment Did you need to hear that this morning, church? That you have everything you need in Jesus. And when you move into this new society, which the Bible tells us will eventually be the whole world. We understand that there is no separation between Jew and Gentile, between circumcised or uncircumcised, between barbarian and Scythian. That's the worst and the worst of the worst. There's even no distinction there. There's no difference between slave or free. But Christ is, say it with me, all and is in all, which means that Christ is in, is all and in In all means, the new self in Christ is available to everyone. That's what we call the good news. That if you've participated in things of these lists that we've looked at, that God's desire is for you to be restored and to be brought in and to know that because Christ is all and is in all, this change is available for you. Yes, you. You online. Everyone within the sound of my voice. What does this mean for us today? All right, take out your tea bag. I'm going to piggyback on the sermon from last week because I know not everybody got to hear it. Last week, Pat- Pastor Rich Volotis talked about holiness. And he gave us an example of tea. I have no water in this, so just imagine. I just didn't want to spill it all over the platform. But he said, often we take our hot water, which can represent God. And holiness is the tea bag going into the water, and miraculously the water slowly transforms into what? Into tea, yes, which is delicious and good. I had one last night. But he said, there's this interesting thing. There's a string. And he gave us two examples in the metaphor. He said, some of us like to do this with our tea. (laughs) Yes. And he says, some of us like to do this with God. We like to go in and out. In and out. In and out to our liking and I remember he was he said he was talking with a friend who was doing that and he says oh man you know what's going on there he said well if I leave it in there it'll get too strong and he's like oh that's preaching right there if I just leave it in there boy how much and I I got to thinking about that I mean I got really excited I'm like and imagine like thinking about the church if all of us were just in there all in this little cup how strong would that car that t be it'd be amazing but I told you I was going to piggyback on this today because I think that takes us so far and that's a great understanding of holiness, but I think what Paul is saying to you and to me, to you online today, is what if the in Christ means that we allow Christ to take care of the string? To where we're in, all in, and as strong as god wants us to be he will make that tea as strong as it needs to be but i'm all in there's no pulling in or out anymore that list has been killed the more mindset is gone it's removed the anger mindset has been taken care of the deceit and the and the the the, the whatever that word is is done so, folks, today, would we dare to let Christ remove the string and let me sit in all of who He is to be as strong as He needs me to be for the world and for those around? So I want us to do something as we close. I'm going to have Deb come. She's going to play that song worthy of it all. If you have a pen or a pencil near you, I want you to do something for me. I want you to take the string. Go ahead and remove it. It's a good metaphor. Remove the string from your tea bag. You had M, A, and D up there. more mindset, the anger mindset, the deceit that divides. There it is. Whichever one you're feeling checked about today, like maybe you live in that more mindset. Maybe you're in that angry mindset. Or maybe you realize you've participated in the deceit that divides people when the kingdom of God, there is no division. I'm going to invite you to write whichever letter is on there for you. You can cover it up. Don't let the person next to you see. But is that going to be the representation for you today? Are you willing to let Christ be all and in all and pull that off? I'm going to give you a second. We're going to pray. And then today, I, I really feel strongly led to do this. We're gonna sing, worthy of it all. Is He worthy of it all, all, even this, even this stuff? If He is, I'm gonna invite you to come and place this on the altar to say, Christ, You're worthy of it all. Take this, take the street. I'm just gonna, I just want to soak in You. And get stronger and stronger in you. I want to understand your love more. I want to live more in peace and hope than in anger and rage. I need your help with my lips. Whatever that is, we all have it. Are you willing to come and place it on an altar and leave it there? and see what God does. The the fancy word we used to use for that is entire sanctification. That Christ becomes all in all and we let him remove the things that let us play around with just dunking in and dunking out. We give that away. So let's pray. We're going to sing. And I'm going to invite you to come and to leave this at his feet. Father, today we've heard a challenging message from Paul, but I believe it is for us today. So now I pray you would give us strength that as we sing in closing, worthy of it all, that we would dare to allow you to be all in all and in everything, to remove the things that we use to play around with the good grace that I pray we would leave these at your feet and leave here changed with a new self put on that we move into the world realizing that you love people and you long for them to know the Christ that is in all and is all. And we pray this in his name. I'm going to invite us to stand. We're going to sing. However you want to place these on the altar, you can't. some of you may want to, to pray just a little bit and kneel. That's okay if you just want to come and like, I'm done with this stuff. I'm just throwing it there. However it is, I invite you
0: to come as Deb leads us in singing. You are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things And to you are all things You deserve the glory You're worthy of it all You're worthy of it all For from you the glory you are worthy of it all
1: Beautiful image to see all of this. It's wonderful. I want to bless you and send you out. I want you to do something. I want you to keep that tea bag. I know after a while you're going to have to throw it out, but put it somewhere where you're going to see it, so that you remember that you left the string here. Go oh, out there. You're letting go of the more mindset, the anger mindset, the deceit that divides and move into your day with all the strength that God longs for you. Would you receive this blessing and now, brothers and sisters, may you leave this place free and filled and knowing, experientially knowing that Christ is all and is in all and may you share it with any that he puts in your path. Go. And I pray these things in the name of the Father who is for us, in the name of the Son who is with us, and in the name of the Holy Spirit who is in us. One God forever and ever. Amen. Go in His name. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us online We next week. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you for tuning in to Cross Communities Podcast.
0: We hope you will join us next week.